0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: Welcome to the Florida Surf Film Festival podcast series, Surf Stories. I'm John Brooks, and with me is my co-host. I'm Kevin Miller. All right, so yeah, we're excited to bring you guys some stories. Um, Traditionally, we... Show you uh, these great stories in film format, but since uh, we can't do that right now, um, we decided to get some folks into the studio and get these stories down and just uh, found a different way to catalog them and be able to share them with
1: you. That's right. Um, You know, we've got a great first guest for the podcast today. His name is Frank Gilday. A lot of you may know him from the lineup, but he likes to fly under the radar. There's no social media or anything uh, particularly flashy about him other than his fantastically beautiful blonde hair and unreal <laughs> cutback. Oh, and did I mention he can do a, a layback on a one-foot wave? You did. Okay, good. I'm making sure. He, he also started the Stetson Surf Club, surf team, actually, when I was there back in Demi, 1989. Demigod status. Yeah, he's up there. He's fiercely competitive, and that's what's kind of interesting about the story. You'll hear more about Frank and uh, his background when we get to it we want to get to a particular story though and uh what have you heard about this story not a whole lot i
0: mean i met frank uh through you uh, when we started doing the film festival and uh, i just know a couple things about frank and that's that he's got a mean layback hack and he got
1: struck by lightning that's about it yep that's right and that's the story that frank's here to tell today we're going to go ahead and uh let Frank take it over from here. But for the record, Florida Surf Film F- Festival is sponsored by, actually presented by Monster Energy. And whether or not they want their name mentioned on this for, first podcast is not yeah. up to them. They don't, <laughs> no. they don't get to choose. We're no, going to thank them anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Thanks, so, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tim. And uh, we love what we can do with uh, flying filmmakers out from all over the world. Um, Rourke is a special sponsor in our heart, too. Um, They've come on board huge uh, to support the festival and make sure independent film and surfing is recognized by the local community. Absolutely. What are you drinking your cocktail out of tonight? Oh, that glorious clinking sound that you'll
0: hear throughout the podcast is the sound of a a beautiful uh, four-year Florida Canya dark rum from Nicaragua mixed with a little bit of Coca-Cola and coming out the orifice of a 28-ounce Yeti Rambler. (laughs)
1: I like that uh, we used Orifice already yeah. in this podcast. So, hey, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, welcome to the show. Um, you'll hear more about our sponsors throughout this podcast, of course. Um, we particularly want to thank Atlantic Center for the Arts, uh, Brian Lehman Financial, and Globe uh, Apparel Footwear, mostly footwear, actually. Footwear. yeah, No apparel. No apparel. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, they uh, they help us out huge and joji's been a big part of our success along with many other people especially the fans so we'll get to it right now and uh anything else john before we move into it i think we're good let's hear Frank's story okay you got it
0: we're here to talk about both of those things today um but yeah frank if you want to just uh Kind of start from the beginning and, and walk us through what what happened that day, and then you know, at we, as we go beyond that, we can kind of go through what's the last couple of years have been like.
2: Sure. So I'm gonna I'll tell the the lightning story is basically I think what we're what we're getting at here. Um, and so what happened was this in uh, 2018, June of 2018, I rolled down to the inlet, <clears throat> a lot of guys out. Uh, you know, probably 40, 50 guys surfing, uh, half the Smyrna crews out there and and everybody um, catching some good waves. And there was a storm off over Port Orange. We didn't think much of it. Um, You know, and then what we didn't know is that the wind switched at some point and the storm was on us in a matter of seconds. So everybody always says, well, why are we surfing out in the lightning storm? And it didn't, that wasn't how it was. We weren't surfing in lightning, but all of a sudden, I turned and looked at the beach and I saw lightning striking the beach and people were mad panicking, you know, running for a park, running for Menorca. And uh, I said, man, I saw lightning hit the beach and I didn't really think it was safe to be running up the beach for cover. So what we did is we ran and hid under the boardwalk and there was about seven of us <clears throat> that made it up there. Um, While the storm was hitting all around us And uh, I didn't think much of it You know Um, And I'd do the same thing today I'd run and hide under the boardwalk Just looking for cover But um, I don't think anybody really knew The severity of it at the time Or how serious it could be So The scenario was this There were seven people Um I had Frank Melton and Rob Persan, two good friends of mine, literally sitting in a hole that they dug with their surfboards over their head because they were, you know, freaking out. And I had um, two other guys, Josh um, Barclift and Trent Sanders, two young guys. They were hiding and we had myself and um, Kate Peoples, Yuri Peoples' daughter, mm-hmm. if you know Yuri, the Shaper. And her boyfriend, Connor Curtis, who was an ex-ranger. So we're under there and we're kind of, you know, a little nervous, kind of laughing. And uh, I remember making a joke that in 20 minutes, this storm's going to pass. Wind's offshore. We're going to have an inlet to ourselves. And that was it. It was lights out. So I know the story now because I had to piece it together from each person that was there. I'm going to tell you my version of what happened. Everybody uh, was affected, and they're still affected to this day, regardless. So what happened was lightning struck. We were all sitting in basically a circle under the boardwalk. Frank Melton and and Rob Persan were thrown up into the sand dunes. So it was almost like somebody dropped a hand grenade in the middle of of the circle. They were thrown to the north side of the boardwalk. I was thrown to the south side. So was Kate. And so was Connor. Connor was thrown into a pole. He was wrapped around the pole, and he had some injuries from that. Uh, Kate was completely out of it from you know from the shock and the concussion of everything. Um, I was convulsing. Josh and Trent, they were okay. They jumped up and ran for the park to call nine one one. But they were gone. <clears throat> so. Frank and Rob get up, stand up, looking around. They see three people laying in the, laying in the sand. Connor's obviously hurt. He's, he's unconscious. And He later comes to find he had a concussion. He had a bad knee injury from being thrown into the pole. Kate's kind of semi-conscious. She's crawling around. She's trying to help Connor. I'm in full convulsions. And then I stop breathing. And... You know, like first I turn blue and then I turn gray and that's it. So Rob and Frank look at each other. They're standing there. Well, what do we do? Nobody knows CPR. So Frank says, I'm going to run to Menorca. I'm going to call 911. He didn't know that the other two guys went to call 911. It was a chaos. Yeah. <clears throat> and so he, he runs over there yelling for help. And somebody did hear him on the balcony, and they called as well, called 911. Rob doesn't know what to do. And I talked to him later to find out, like, what happened. And he uh, says, look, you stopped breathing. I had no idea what to do. So my first thought was to just breathe into your mouth and try to get your lungs to rise um, and, and try to get you breathing again. So he did so at this time, and it wasn't working, obviously, or it wasn't working at the time. So at this time, Kate's trying to get, she's working on Connor to get him conscious. Connor's ex ranger, so he's been in combat situations. He thrives in combat, combat situations. But the thing about lightning is when it hit everyone, he had no control of his arms or his legs. So he woke up, looked over, recognized what was happening, wanted to, to help, but he, he couldn't get his anything to function. So he yells over to, to Rob and says, you know, stop doing the breaths and go to chest compressions. And then he goes back unconscious. Hmm. Rob's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. he's freaking out. You know, he, he's... Literally watching... He's just watched his friend die. He had, there's no response. There's no heartbeat. There's no pulse. There's no breath. Nothing. So he, he says, okay. He starts banging on, on my heart. He said he did that for four or five minutes. And finally, um, kick-started my heart. I got, he got a response. So I took a breath. <clears throat> my color came back. Um, but... Now there was a, a new problem. I hadn't been breathing for my heart had stopped for five minutes, so my lungs had filled up with fluid, mm-hmm. and now I'm choking. Rob doesn't know it. He hasn't taken CPR class. He doesn't. He's just, he's just, you know, he's in shock like everybody else. Connor wakes up a second time, yelling, swearing. Ah, yeah, yeah. Looks over, gets his bearings, sees what's happening. Says, "Hey." You got to clear his airways. You got to turn him on the side, clear his airways, and then kind of pass it out again. So, <laughs> Jeez. so, so he at that time, Frank came back from Menorca, um, saw what was going on, put my head in his lap, had to you know scoop all the foam that was bubbling off from my lungs out of my mouth. He said that wasn't his best, his most pleasant experience, <laughs> but uh, it got my breath. You know, it got me breathing again. So, um, that's, that's really basically what happened. Everybody has their own, um, after effects and their own reactions and, and some have lingering injuries. Like I can't really tell anyone else's stories, you know, for, for each person, but I can tell you having spoken with them that even though this took, it'll be two years ago, like this week, uh, everybody is still, uh, dealing with, in some capacity, um, what happened that night, whether it's like, you know, Connor's knee still hurts from, you know, the pole throat getting thrown in the pole, or maybe somebody has some PTSD type of, um, effects. So it's no joke. Like it really is no joke, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk to you guys. And it was a, it's a great opportunity. And I thank you for having me in and let people know, um, you know, how serious that can be. And I say that because it's two years later and I'm still dealing with the physical consequences of that that evening. So I don't know if you want me yeah. to get into that. Well,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, so before we go <clears throat> down that <throat> kind of the road to recovery, mm-hmm. um, so kind of where, where the story ended for you um, just now was, Frank comes back. Frank Melton comes back. He's clearing your airway, and you've started to breathe again. Um, So at that point, 911's been called. What was the wait time that
2: you had? So interesting. That's a a good question. Uh, You would think it would be quick, but the people from Menorca that called said it was at the first boardwalk. So now it's dark. This happened in the evening. Right. And lightning's still popping off everywhere. And they go to the wrong boardwalk mm-hmm. and they can't find us, which means, OK, I'm I'm out, I'm unconscious, so I can't do anything. Um, somebody has to run out and flag down. Help. Sure. And everybody's just been struck by lightning. Nobody. <laughs> nobody's feeling you know, very uh, secure at the moment uh, doing that. Sure. So, so at,
0: if, at this it, point, it, just it, to clarify, at this point, you're you're breathing and have a heartbeat, but you're unconscious.
2: Correct. Okay. And I think uh, it was a good hour before rescue got to um, our location, and then you know that's just them getting there. You still had to get an ambulance down there. Sure. Um, it was. It was. It took a while. Did
0: they go? Did did the the fire rescue crew that responded? Did they go park in the park and come down the boardwalks, or did they come down on the
2: sand? I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a question for for probably Frank or, or Rob. They might have told me, and I just don't remember. Sure. Yeah, there was a lot going on. I, I only woke up twice. I woke up once. I heard some screaming. I opened my eyes, and it was RP, or Rob Persan, giving me mouth-to-mouth. And I remember thinking, boy, this is really weird. There's been an accident. I hear screaming. And then when I saw his face... The fear on his face when I opened my eyes, I, I, I knew something was, was really wrong. I just didn't know what. Did you know it it was th- that it was wrong with you? No, I didn't think it was me. I, yeah. I, thought it, I really thought it was kind of like a dream where there was a car accident. That, that's what my mind was saying. Oh, there's been a ba- really bad accident because I could hear screaming. I don't even know who was screaming. Yeah. Um, and then I woke up once in the ambulance because I couldn't breathe because of my lungs, you know, I'd filled up, and they had to suction out, all that, and then I passed out again, and then I woke up in the hospital. You know, when I, when I woke up in the hospital, I didn't have any physical effects at the time. I didn't have, I had a little bit of pain in my neck, and my mus- muscles were tight from the, I guess, all the electricity, but I thought, you know, by the next morning, I said, oh, I'm out of here, and <laughs> I'm good to go, <laughs> and I've come to find that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so the the reason I, I asked you that is just because for, for listeners that aren't familiar with the setup down at the inlet at New Smyrna, if an ambulance comes down the beach, they could be as close as 50 feet away from you. But if they have to go to the park, they have to go park in the park and then wheel the stretcher out yeah. almost a mile of boardwalk before they get to you. Yeah. And so that, that would make a big difference Tom. in response time.
2: Right. You know, another interesting thing about that park that I'll just let listeners know is this, for what it's worth. I was one of the first guys to run up to the boardwalk. And I remember Kate and Connor coming running up behind me. And as they were running up, that boardwalk in the last year or two has been wrapped with a chain link fence to keep people from falling through the the gaps. Mm -hmm. And I remember I touched it and it was humming. With electricity. And I thought, maybe lightning struck the other side of the boardwalk and it's just coming through the, the metal. But the reality is that that boardwalk is wrapped in a huge metal casing. Mm. So, a giant lightning rod. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I really believe that that's, uh, that could be the case. I don't know for sure and I can't prove it. But I, when they came running up, I said, look, don't touch this board. Don't touch this because I can literally I can feel it humming. And that could have just been the electricity in the air. Sure, you know if you've seen, if you've ever been on the beach and somebody's hair is standing up or something like that, maybe it was just that. But I won't touch that thing again. I yeah. can tell you that for sure. <laughs> so you know, we'll see. So now,
0: so okay, so coming back uh, to that, oh, oh, one one other question I had: did uh, did you get innovated on the right end?
2: N- Innovated, which is
0: like where they put an endotracheal tube down your throat and breathe for you or were you breathing adequately enough on your own at that time? i don't think
2: so i think they just gave me the suction and i was breathing on my own okay yeah i yeah i, I want to say no on that okay i, I would remember that i think okay. or woken up and had to you know know yeah. something was there yeah
0: so, so now how how long were you admitted into the hospital before you got released to go
2: home i was there about three days three or four three, i think it was three days i was in there um the first night, I was in a little pain. My muscles were a little sore. Obviously, everybody was upset. Uh, you know, my wife and daughter were up in Jacksonville. When they got the call, they were on lightning break at, on a soccer field. Uh, and Frank called up to my wife, Jessica, and said, hey, I don't want to panic you, but your husband, you know, was struck by lightning. They're on lightning strike. And so, they were, you know, they had to drive an hour and a half to get home. Um, so everybody was kind of concerned, obviously, uh, worried. I didn't have a lot of pain that night. I had a little bit of soreness. I, I, I think they put me on morphine for that, and then, uh, but I never felt really damaged. I, you know, you break a bone, you have pain. Sure. You know, I never had anything like that, so I I really thought, cool, just get me out of here. I'm supposed to be in Huntington next week for the NSSA Championships, and I I was really excited about that. I'd been training for eight months with with Rob Persan, which is why he you know we were together. Um,
1: you were thinking that in the hospital that you were going to go to Huntington.
2: My first words were, "Hey, I'm totally fine. I'm going to. I'm catching a flight next week. I'm going to Huntington next week, and I'm out of here. You, you know, you can let me go. You can, you can let me go now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we're not letting you go. But I. But again, I. What, this is what I didn't know. So lightning, I think, is like 30 million volts or something, and when it hits. It does all kinds of strange things. It can cook your brain. It can um, burn you. It can create neurological damage. So what I didn't know is that in my case, my damage was nerve damage, which you, I couldn't feel yet. I was going to get there, right? You know, so I was all excited. And and my mindset was even if I am hurt, ah. Eh, one month, six weeks. I'm back. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll train. I'll pick up where I left off. I'll, I'll run. I'll, tr- I'll I'll surf. I'll, I'll lift, and I'll be 100. percent I mean, it, if it t- if it took me six weeks, I'd be surprised. And that was definitely not the case. That, that was know. in
1: the bed in the hospital. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, I was
2: like I'll be, I'll be fine. Like anything else, you just you, you heal. You work through it. It's just, a lot of it's just your mindset. Uh,
0: F- Florida surfers are so optimistic. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. yeah. Well I was I've been forced to, to to slow down and reevaluate things. So yeah. Um but that is what I was thinking and, and uh yeah, that wasn't that wasn't to be the case. yeah. Uh, you
1: know. Well I remember seeing you that summer uh, a couple of months later and and it it took quite a lot for you to get down to the inlet and uh boogie board and, and get just to get in the water, but you were just as aggro as ever.
2: Well, I was determined to get better. So, yeah, to your point, if you want to ha- go into the recovery side things,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So, like like Kevin said, so now we we've heard the the incident or the event, and you you were in the hospital. You've been released, and now you know, kind of take us down that road of what the last couple years has been like for you in, in terms of getting back to just normal everyday activity, getting back in the water, things like that.
2: Yeah. So after the third day, um, you know they. they I went home basically. And um, I started to realize pretty quickly that I had some issues. I wasn't quite sure what they were yet, but things, my body wasn't working the way it should be. And so I thought, well, Huntington's out. It's June. Okay. I have until September and I can go to the East Coast Championships for ESA up in Hatters, which (laughs) I love to do that because it's just, I love Hatters and and I love all the surfing against all the boys up there. So that came and went. But so what happened was this. I realized um, that I couldn't really walk. And I, and I thought, I don't have any physical injury that you can see. So, what's going on here? I went to the cardiologist, I went to the neurologist, and basically the lightning had hit me on the right side. We think it, you know, in the upper right quadrant, we think it went out in the lower left quadrant because of the areas that were affected. And I had a lot of peripheral and motor nerve damage. And I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, you have your vestibular nerves in your ears, which control balance, kind of like equilibrium. Mm-hmm. I, never, I never knew what a vestibular nerve was. <laughs> why, why would I know that? Right. Well, now I know because it's not working. Right. You know, it's all, so it was all part of this nerve damage. Or I would touch the corner of a table with my leg and it would feel like somebody stabbed me with a knife because the peripheral nerves are sending the wrong message back. Mm. So Basically, it's just scrambled everything, you know, Um, so I couldn't walk. So I went to the cardiologist. He said, look, your heart stopped for five minutes. It's scars. Um, I just think you should sit on the sofa for six months. So I listened to him. I went home and uh, I didn't say anything. I was not liking that uh, prognosis. And I said, uh, "Man, six months is is New Year's. It's June. You know what happens to a fifty one year old guy who sits on a couch for six months <laughs> and who loves beer? They're like, forget it. It turns not, into a seventy one year old guy. Yeah. Those guys, those guys never come back. They don't. Yeah. They don't. They yeah. actually, you know, they're on a long board, They can't shortboard again. They, they've gained forty pounds." And then they just age out. And I was like, man, I don't really want that. So I said, I, but I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. So the only thing I could do is I could stand up straight and I could take about a three inch shuffle step. If I if I look straight ahead, I couldn't look over my shoulder. I'd fall over. And I said, OK, well, that, there's my baseline. OK, I can do that. So That means that I could walk if I had to. I could walk to the ocean from my house. And that means I could ride a boogie board because you can't fall off a boogie board. So boogie boarding was never cool for me. <laughs> I never really thought it was the sport I wanted to to be in. But uh, I, I went to – and I said, where the hell am I going to get a boogie board? I don't have one. <laughs> None of my friends ride them. So there's one guy in town, If we, you know, if we're going to talk about small-town stories, who is Alex Hillier, who's a professional boogie boarder. Yeah, I know Alex. And I got with him and uh, super – cool guy he was concerned and he said here uh because i went to him and i said hey what to get a good one what's it going to cost me because i just wanted to buy a good one he goes man don't buy one he goes i hold on wait right here he runs to his car he comes back he says you take this you take it as long as you need it which i thought was a great gesture i barely knew the guy at the time. that's awesome it was, it was yeah. awesome yeah it's was, it was just great so what i did was i uh my my wife and my daughter were adamantly against me you know going down to the inlet and boogie boarding because of my condition but it is what it is. So my daughter walked me down to the inlet starting the end of June for probably three months. And it took, the inlet's about, I don't know, four or 500 yards from my house, from my boardwalk. It took me an hour to get there because I was walking so slow. And then I had to put on my fins and that was a whole another 10 minutes just to get two flippers on. And then the first couple of times I went out, and one of the first times it was with you, Kevin, I, I do remember that. I think it was when Jamie Brissig, or no, that was a we did later. a drifter. Yeah, we did a drifter and I was just floundering, frustrated, but, uh, but I felt like because nothing was working, my hands and feet weren't working that, um, sitting on the couch, wasn't the answer, forcing the blood through my body and movement was, was going to be my, my key to success, but it didn't feel cool carrying a boogie board. I felt like an old man and <laughs> I did not like it at all. I will say this, after three months went by, I started to have a really good time on the boogie board. I started to like catch some waves and get barreled. And I, I thought, you know, I was going to say I like, see why I guys do this. It's, I was going to say, bad. despite yeah. the fact that
0: it's, that you, you, it wasn't something you ever envisioned yourself doing and, and you didn't view it as like a, a cool thing. Yeah. The first wave you caught, yeah, had, I remember that, that had to be insane. I, I totally
2: remember it I, because we are you know, I was floundering and flounder and flounder. You get one little, you know, whitewater dumper and you're going straight. It's like, this is, this is not fun. But I was at the inlet one night. I was with my daughter and I, and I got one outside and I came through the flats and then the inside set up and it just threw over me. This barrel. And I came out, you know, almost by Menorca. And I go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I I said to myself. If that's the worst, it's going to, if, if, if I don't get any better yeah. and I stay like this for the rest of my life, you know what? At least I can do that. Yeah. still get barreled. Still get barreled. I can yeah. still paddle out. I can kick around. I can still ride waves. My friends, they, they, they knew. Um, I remember walking down with you one night, Kevin, to the inlet. And I remember thinking, God, I'm walking down with a couple guys with boards and I'm here to with my boogie board in And I just, there's nothing about it I like, but it, it served its purpose. And, sure. And I, and, and, and I, uh. I don't think boogie board is un- boogie boarding is uncool anymore. I actually, that it, it holds a <laughs> place in my heart for me. So nice. And uh, yeah, and those tricks are hard. So when I see like, <laughs> when I see Alex Hillier doing those El Rolos and stuff on his Instagram, I have a new appreciation for the, the difficulty of sure. some of that stuff. Um, so, th- so that came and went. I was, the, that stopped when my daughter was getting ready to leave for college. For whatever reason, every time we'd go to the inlet, We'd see a shark, big shark, and I'm, you know, dragging two legs through the water. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need a lightning strike and a shark to bite. But uh, she was leaving, getting ready to leave in January for UCLA to play soccer. And the last time we surfed together there, or I boogie boarded, was when this big, massive shark swam by. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I said... You're going to UCLA to play soccer. I don't think you can afford, you know, to for a shark bite at, or to miss a, be missing a calf at this point. So we're done. We're done with this part of my rehab. And that was about September, late September maybe. Uh, and then I, I, I thought, yeah, I'm excited. I can get on it. You know, September came and went. I never made Hatteras. So now I'm pushing the, the goalpost down the road again, which was frustrating. But I was like, okay, I'm ready to start. Let me, let me get on a surfboard now. So I took out. My son's Alva, big, you know, floaty board. I was like, ah, this will be easy to ride. Who's here in the
1: studio with us, by the way, Frank Jr.
2: <laughs> Frank Jr. is here. So I stole his equipment and then uh, ran into a whole new set of problems, which uh, was that my the signals of my nerves to the muscle to the brain were still not working. So if you've ever taken two sneakers or seen where they take two sneakers and they tie the laces together and they throw them up like over the the, the wire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well that's what would happen from my ankles down. My, my feet would wrap around each other like that because I couldn't feel them. Mm. And so after I get, start to get up, it would be like, you suddenly tie my feet together really fast. And then I would just fall over. I couldn't even get to my feet. And I just, so the first time that happened, I was surfing down at Frank's condo and, uh, I was like, this got to be some kind of cruel joke, man. Like, I was getting ready to go to hunting. And I, I, this is worse than a beginner. Like, really, it's just terrible. So you, you, I've not only regressed, I've regressed to the point of, you know, somebody that's starting today have, that has never surfed before will be surfing better than me. Like, the, the injustice of it all. <laughs> so I had to come to grips with that. And so uh, what I did is I said, okay, uh, There's not much I can do. And I remember a session we had Kevin, down at Frank's condo where uh, I just kept throwing myself over the ledge. It was a a decent-sized day, and I'd start to get to my feet, and then I'd just get pitched. And let me tell you, if we're talking surfing, you know, the frustration of going over the falls 20 times in a row will make you want to quit. (laughs) If you don't love it enough, (laughs) you don't think you're going to get better, you're going to stop doing it but I'll always get one wave, you know, in a two hour session, I'd get one. And so I could, I said, every time I said, uh, all right, I got one, man. Like there's hope here. You know, I'm off the boogie board. I'm not back where I was, but man, I think it's coming. So three more months, three more months. And then, you know, three months would come, six months would come and this went on until basically present day. Um, but I will say this about uh, Frank Melton. We used to run heats for fun against each other. We've, we've been doing that for over a decade. Every time we surf, we run 15, 20-minute heats against each other just so we can punish the other guy with, with bragging rights. Sure. And uh, that guy, my best friend in the world, he, uh, he never took it easy on me. The minute I was able, the minute I was able to stand up... That guy comes and he says, come on, we're running heats, we're running heats. And I I go, what, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to lose every time. So, But we did it. And so that's been at least a year and a half of me losing heats uh, to Frank uh, for fun, bragging rights only. Meanwhile,
1: you have been beating
2: me. (laughs) (laughs) me, He says that, but I don't really believe him. But I I have gotten a few in the last six months I've gotten to where, uh, because it's all score based. So you go to the falls, what do you score that? You can't even score it it's the duck points. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but we've been doing that forever and it's just a, it's just a great sign of, uh, his friendship and what it means to me and the fact that, uh, he wasn't going to take it easy on me. You know what I mean? Like I never wanted a guy that was like, Oh man, you're so broken. I'm so sorry. like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I don't nah, nah, nah. I would, I'd rather, uh, you know, go out there and, um, him punish me. Or me get a heat. I've gotten some heats off. So, of course, on his ride home, I'm calling him saying, what was the score today? Who (laughs) Who won that today? So it works both ways a little bit. Um, But, yeah, so I did that until basically the present. And I'd say I'm probably 70% back uh, in my surfing. Like I'm I'm like an average guy, which is okay. Again, it's like the boogie board. If this is the, you know, if I only get to here – Sure. That's it. I can still go out. Well, well, Kevin, we surfed the big hurricane swell.
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I was actually, I was a little nervous. It got big. The wind went offshore. I mean, shallows was breaking two miles out to sea, and it was, I don't know how, maybe a true six, eight foot, uh, twenty knot west winds, and we all went down, and, and uh, we waited for that wind to switch, and it switched, and then it was game on, and, and I remember thinking, I have no idea how this is going to play out, hmm. you know, and we did that day. And you were there, junior? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a seven mile drift and surfed that the whole way. I didn't make every wave, but same thing again. I was like, man, you know, if I can, I can still go out when it's big. Yeah. And it was a little gnarly with the wind. You know, it was, it was strong wind, and I thought, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm three out of five drops here. I'm okay with that. I can still charge if I, you know, if I have to. So, yeah. so, so it was little building blocks of you know, progress and confidence and signs that things were getting better. It was just really, <coughs> excuse me, really, really slow. Yeah. You
0: know? So now because your injuries were primarily neurological, um, did you do any physical therapy or were you like prescribed any physical
2: therapy? Yeah, I did. And, and it and it really helped me. Um, I had to uh, because things weren't working right. So I, go- I went to physical therapy. I went to uh, D1 in um lake mary and they had a they had a physical therapist who specialized in um olympic athletes with nerve damage and so that's what i wanted i wanted athletics and nerve damage so it was kind of targeted and uh so i went in there and i said hey look i got struck by lightning and my right side's not working my lat's not working and it turned out it wasn't my my lat muscle it was my serratus which was creating problems because uh, it wasn't work it wasn't functioning so we had to isolate the muscle. And uh, I, I, again, I remember the first time she gave me a, a dumbbell and it was a five pound pink girl's dumbbell. <laughs> and I was like, why are you giving me this? The boogie board of yeah, dumbbells. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> boogie board story. Yeah. So I go, why are you giving me this? Uh, and she goes, I want you to take that and I want you to press it over your head with your right hand. And I was like, this was a joke. So I, I go to do it and I couldn't lift it and I, because it was isolating where the, where the problems were and I thought, wow, that's really weird. I, first of all, I didn't even know that, you know? Uh, so to answer your question, PT was, was great in, um, in figuring out what I, what I needed to do. So a lot of my things were, I was doing balance exercises that they give to the elderly. Cause when you're older, you start losing your balance, but you kind of lose it slowly. So the, the exercises I had would be, you know, like, a a single leg um, like a deadlift or something like that and I couldn't do them in the beginning I can do them now it's they're still very hard anything one legged or stand on one leg and then close your eyes I had what's called precipitation which is your awareness of your limbs in space it's because the nerves aren't sending the right signals. so even when it when I got better and I was able to jog I could never sprint because once I started running fast, the signal wouldn't work any longer. So my feet would just mm. do this weird thing where they would go out on their own and then it fall. Mm. So I can so I can jog fast, but I can't I can't sprint. Even now, I can't sprint yeah. yet. Still don't have any feeling in my parts of my hands or parts of my feet, and and it's like the last mile. So
0: yeah, and um, you mentioned that the cardiologist when you talked to the cardiologist that uh, that he had indicated that because you your heart hadn't been beating for approximately four or five minutes that you had some cardiac scarring yeah do you you have any ongoing troubles with or difficulties with that or as it relates to that
2: i do actually so i thought i was past all that i thought okay we're making these making this progress we're making these strides i feel pretty good so about a year into it um here here comes what what we've come to find is a lot of lightning strikes create problems one and two years down the road Mm -hmm. internally and you don't no, it's happening so one of the side effects of which was pretty obvious when it started of lightning or electrocution is um, it affects your vision creates cataracts mm-hmm. so one day I was like I can't see very well so I go to the doctor says yeah we just saw you and your eyes were fine and now you have cataracts and I said well clearly that's from the lightning so uh, I, I dealt with that for about six months and then it got so bad It got aggressive that I had to get cataract surgery, which I just had last this past January. So I go for cataract surgery. I'm a little nervous. I'm not. I hate doctors. I hate needles, hate scalpels. But it was so bad I had to do it. So I was in January. Go get both eyes done. Come out. And I could see 2020. I needed readers for books, you know, close. But it was like a whole new world for my surfing. Like, wow, I can see everything now. Like Frankie will tell you, there was times when I'd be at the inlet or or there'd be people next to me and I couldn't no longer see who they were. Um, so that was a big, you know, benefit to me. And I thought, yeah, great, that's the last step. Again, we're just pushing the the, gu- <laughs> the, the goalpost out. So this was just past January. So I spent about six weeks surfing. Training, I'm starting to feel good again. I, I really feel like my surfing's coming back. Got some new equipment. And I'm like, wow, okay, this was the last thing. This was the last leg. So about, I don't know, eight weeks ago or something, I'm on the phone 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, in, in a matter of two hours or so, my whole right eye goes completely 100% blind. Can't see. That's, what is that about? Must be related to the, to the cataract surgery. Now, this is in the middle of COVID. So I call the eye doctor. Yeah, my wife's like, well, well, why are we even talking? Call the doctor. So I call the doctor. They say, get down here immediately and go down to Orlando. Um, sitting in the waiting room, I look down, I realize I have two different colored shoes on. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding! I, I, that was my reaction, too. I just started laughing. I, just, I, I looked at my wife and I go, can you believe this? I called the nurse. She got a laugh out of it. And uh, it was a little embarrassing, but funny. And then the doctor comes out and it was no longer funny at this point. And she, he, she said, you have a detached retina and you, you have, you know, basically 72 hours. And if you don't get it fixed, you're going to be bl- permanently blind in your right eye. Ooh. So I go, oh, this is great. Um, and she goes, we've already forwarded your file. You have to go downtown. You have to go to the retina specialist. You need to leave now. And I thought, man, I just got up for a regular work day. This is not, this wasn't in my plans. Again, you know, it's not three months. It's not six months. It's not a year. You're still dealing with it. It's frustrating. So uh, we go down there and the doctor comes out and he says, they take pictures. They look at, at the eye and he comes out and he says, what happened to you? <laughs> he said, your eye is like destroyed inside. You have all this pigment that shouldn't be there. You have scar tissue. That's just massive amounts of scar tissue. So to answer your question, my, I had, the lightning effect my, affected my eyes. And for the last two years, scar tissue has been forming behind my, my right eye specifically, which is the side I was hit. And that eventually uh, made the back of the eye lose its elasticity, and then the retina pulls off, and then you have no vision. So here we go. What do we got to do, doc? Doc says, Monday, you're in. We're going we're gonna to get this thing. And uh, I said, okay. Not looking forward to that surgery. That was that was a total nightmare. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, needles in the eye are never fun, and uh, it was it was terrible. And then I came out, and uh, when I came out, I was still blind. I got about three percent, five percent of vision vision returning over the course of the next three, four weeks. And I thought, okay, here again, I'm coming back. We'll get right through this. Go back for the checkup. Doctor says, hate to tell you this, but Scar tissue is reformed again. We're going back in a second time. We don't know what to expect. You know, um, I don't want to. I don't want you to think you'll ever have your full vision again. Mm. And uh, and I thought, man. So, prior to that checkup, I had been you know surfing, and then when that after that first surgery, that part of the eye is where I look backside so again here we go we slide back i was making this recovery now all of a sudden i can't see my backside very well and i'm frustrated but you know we're talking about surfing and in the big picture you know what is that really worth which we could talk about that but um your vision is your vision and it's the same it's that silly cliche of you don't appreciate anything until you lose it and obviously nobody wants to be blind yeah and, and I remember what happened because you can close your eye and say oh this is what it would be like to be blind that's one thing. It's another thing when your eye is black and you're willing it to see and it's not seeing anything and that's scary. And then you've only got one left. Yeah. So if something happens there, yeah. It forgets surfing, your whole life is going to change. So I was I had some stress over that. So we did the operation last Monday. I have this week I go back and we'll see. And again, we'll push the goalpost down another couple of months. If, uh, you know, if I get a decent amount of vision in there, I'll be right back in the water. And if I, if I can't see fully backside, then I just change where I do my turn. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. really, go go Derek, I've already thought
0: it through. You yeah. go Derek Hein <laughs>
2: style. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. And yeah. so it, it's, it's funny you say that because, for everybody that has something, there's somebody that has it worse. So even if I got 25% of my vision, I'd, have, I'd be in better shape than, than Derek, yeah. you know? Yeah. And here's another thing I was thinking about. I was coming back from the inlet a couple of weeks ago. I was walking back and I was bitching about my eye with my friend. I was like, I can't see. I'm frustrated. Ah. And this woman's walking up towards me and she says hi. I couldn't tell who it was at first. She had a hat and glasses on. And then I realized it's Kate Watley. And for anybody that knows, the Wileys are a huge surf family. Uh, I think legends in New Smyrna Beach. Um, the whole family, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, we start talking, and I said, You know, how's Bill? And uh, I've surfed against Bill competitively, longboard and shortboard The guy is amazing. Lily's one of the best nose riders around, yep. uh, phenomenal surfer. Kate's a great surfer. And this is what Kate said to me, and I I hope I'm not saying, you know, putting something out there that I I shouldn't, but I don't think so. Um, She said, well, Bill is in a home because he has Alzheimer's now. Mm -hmm. And she said that, and it came on fast. And she said that, um, I hope that I'm able to see him before he passes away, because with COVID, I can't go in to see him. So I thought about what she said for a second, and I said to myself, "Man, what am I bitching about? Like, yeah. okay, I, look, I, I got, I still have a, I still have an eye, you know. This guy, he's not surfing anymore, and he's in the final chapter. And what are they going through as a family? You know what I mean? So this is really, this is what I thought. Um, so yeah, you have to, you you have, you only have two choices here." You curl up in a ball and you suck your thumb and you cry, woe is me. Or you say to yourself, this is the cards I've been dealt. What do I do?
1: Yeah, oh my God, I think I would be the guy on the ground.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what Frank Mountain says to me. He goes, I'm I'm tired of Yeah, he says, this is what he says to me. We talk a lot on the phone and he'll go, he'll call me up to complain about something. And halfway through it, he'll go. Wait a second. He goes, well, "I can't complain to you." He goes, what, what you've been through." He goes, "It's not even fun talking to you anymore. I can't I can't even say what I want to say. I'll call you later." And he gets off the phone. But it's true. It's about appreciation and it's about yeah. recognizing, you know, the, the hierarchy of of some of this stuff, you know. And they, yeah. they're going through something that's far bigger than what I'm going through. And, sure. I, and I love those guys and I, and I wish them the best, you know.
1: So, I just want to thank you for coming in and, and sharing your story because it is, it has a couple of nice messages to it. Number one, CPR training is kind of, John?
0: Yeah, yeah. it's That's something near and dear to my heart. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, I'm a firefighter EMT. Uh, that's my real job. And uh, Kevin and I just do this film festival and podcast <laughs> stuff for fun. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a CPR instructor and it's still to this day, it blows me away. They don't teach CPR in high school. Like I think everybody on earth, every human being on earth should know CPR. Um, Everybody can do it. And um, it's actually, it makes a nice little segue into uh, in November. um, We're hoping, you know, obviously with the COVID thing, you know, everything's up in the air, but in November, we're hoping to uh, bring an organization called the Bragg Institute, the big wave risk assessment group. Oh, yeah. um, Kevin and I went out to Hawaii in December and, uh, and I went through the course and I'm actually going to uh, become an instructor for those guys, but we're hoping to bring that course here and offer it in conjunction with the film festival. And part of the course is that you get CPR certified. Um, and so just as surfers, um, I mean, I think everybody ought to know it, but especially as surfers, like how many times have we gone to these far flung places all over the earth where there's literally no medical resources whatsoever yeah. Yeah. and it's you and your buddies and that's all you got. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just a lot of importance there and uh, for people to learn CPR and, and be able to help their friends and
2: have their friends help them. It's an easy thing. See, learning CPR is an easy thing. It is. So if you think about that for a second and you take a very small amount of, of your time you know, um, you're not going to get a, a do over, you know, if it's, if you have an opportunity to save a child or save a, your best friend or or a stranger, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's worth it. I mean, I'm living proof that I, you know, I was saved by CPR and I know a lot of EMTs in town. I, I had Reese Lewis. I was talking to him. He said, I've cracked a hundred breast bones yeah. and maybe saved three people. You know, it's, it's. If you have those skills, the impact that you could you can have is phenomenal you know and i'm I'm living proof of that well, and yeah.
1: you know knowing c p r is one thing, but having the lucidity that Connor had yeah. to roll over and and nail it with r p you know i it. mean this this whole situation is incredible it's it's unbelievably sad that you guys had to go through this because it must have infected you know affected everybody. But I'm I'm happy to see where you're at as my friend, but also you know just a, a person out there trying to get
2: back in the water and make yeah, it happen. I appreciate that. And let me just say one thing too. It's it's this isn't just a story about me. You know, there were seven people there, and every single person that was there did something right or something that they could. You know, uh, Josh and Trent ran for help, nine one one. Frank ran for help and and cleared my airways. Rob gave me CPR, Kate got Connor conscious, you know, I tried to get him back, you know, conscious. Connor helped Rob by giving him directions. It was a it was a team effort uh through and through. And um we'll have those bonds, you know, forever. You yeah, know, it's just phenomenal. So it isn't just my story. Those those guys all played a huge part in, in it, and I just want to recognize them, you know, while I have the the opportunity and um, let them know too how much I appreciate everything that they, that they did for me. So.
0: Well, that's great, Frank. Well, like Kevin said, uh, we're super stoked to have you here today and um, not always a fun uh, topic, you know, to talk about, but I, I love yeah. the fact that we can sit around and, and talk about it and, and have some laughs and it's just great to see your, uh, your attitude is infectious. Your positive attitude is infectious. Thank and um, and li- like I said, kind of jokingly, uh gosh man nobody's more optimistic than a florida surfer so (laughs) you gotta be (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. you'll never surf (laughs) it's ingrained it's ingrained in us from from the beginning so uh we appreciate you sharing your story and uh yeah yeah Yeah. we look forward to seeing you in the water thanks frank yep all right well thanks so much for joining us and uh gosh kevin what what a story frank has
1: yeah, no, I'm just uh, a little floored by it. I've had pieces brought to me by various people, including Frank, and this was way heavier than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I'm just happy he got to tell the story. I'm just glad my friend's alive. Yeah, yeah, un- unreal.
0: Um, and then, hey, we'd love to hear your comments. Um, if you have any comments about Frank's story or questions or anything like that, um, you know, hit us up on Facebook, Florida Surf Film Festival. Uh, or Instagram at FL Surf Film Fest. Um, yeah, we'd love to get a little dialogue going and, and hear your thoughts on the story. Um, just some quick thank yous. Uh, obviously, thank you to our presenting sponsor, Monster Energy. Um, without those guys, we couldn't do any of this stuff. Uh, thank you to David Lee Scales at Surf Splendor Podcast. He's given us some great advice as we uh, get going in this uh, new beginning here. Um, the festival. We'll hopefully resume in August. Um, We're not sure. We're trying to work out some details there, but we'll keep you updated on social media, and obviously you can go to our website, floridasurffilmfestival.com. Hit us up on email, info at floridasurffilmfestival.com if you have any questions. Uh, Coming down the pipe, we've got our book lineup. Um, We'll be doing that uh, in the end of August, and our first author that we'll be talking to is Chaz Smith with his new book, Reports from Hell. Um so look for that coming up.
1: Drops in July. You can pre-order now on Amazon. There you go. Yeah.
0: So get get Charlie's book ahead of time and then uh enjoy a nice uh, little cocktail hour where we're we'll talk to Charlie about uh his book and his experience writing it among yeah. other things. Yeah.
1: By, by the way, I'd like to thank my wife, John.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I'd like to thank your wife too. Oh, come on. I
1: know obviously uh, uh thanks we, to our uh, families and everybody's putting up with our uh, new project here.
0: absolutely yeah thanks to
1: my wife as well for all the uh support
0: appreciate it for all you movie buffs out there you'll notice the music from this episode comes from the 2002 film fifth symphony document by chad campbell great great surf movie and if you'd like to check out the soundtrack you can find it at bandcamp.com